that. Uh, but why don't I pray just before I start? Father God, we give thanks as we gather here this morning. And while digitally is not the same as in person, we give thanks that we're still able to open up your word together and delve into your, un, into your knowledge and gain a deeper understanding of your love and your being. Father, I pray as we look at this passage this morning that you would open our hearts and our ears to you, Lord, that your truth would be revealed to us and it would be your words on my lips and not my own. So, Father, I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been on the top of a mountain when fog has suddenly rolled in uh, or maybe on a hike somewhere, visibility drops to absolute zero and you can barely make out your hand in front of your face. Uh, it can be really scary. Maybe even you can hear the roll of thunder across the hill, see the flash of lightning. Uh, perhaps you don't quite know where you are uh, and it can be a scary experience. I mean, I've certainly experienced it when I've been out hiking and your first instinct is probably to try and find somewhere safe and kind of wait it out. Maybe a nice bothy or, you know, more likely a nice pub. And if you've ever been in this situation or something similar, maybe driving down a dark country road at night um, when the fog rolls in and your fog lights don't seem to do much, then you can probably imagine what the Israelites were fe feeling that day when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And while they did respond in fear, as we perhaps expect, as well as in a couple of other ways, which we're going to look at as well, it's perhaps not in the way we would expect actually how we would react in fear. They didn't run away from God and try and wait it out. Instead, they ran to him. And we're going to look at how that's how we should respond as well. For some background for the book of Deuteronomy, it's a collection of sermons uh, given by Moses to the people of Israel as they prepared themselves to enter the promised land that they needed to listen to, to hear the instruction about God and from God. Uh, the first sermon, uh, just before this, the bit we're in, ran from chapter one through to chapter four, and it detailed the story of God's uh, delivering them out of Egypt and making a covenant with them and making them his people as he was to be their exclusive God. And today we find ourselves at the start of Moses' second sermon, uh, which reminds the Israelites the need to follow Yahweh and the laws or the teachings that he has given them on which the possession of the land depends. And what we'll see is a recap in the text, how the law was given by God to his people and what their initial response was to his giving of the Ten Commandments. And why is their response important? Because their response to God and his glory should be our response. How their hearts responded give us the template of how our hearts should respond to God as well. These people who had suffered centuries of slavery had seen rivers turn to blood they were witnesses to the parting of the Red Sea. They had followed the pillar of fire by night and cloud by day. Their eyes had seen sights that would cause even the special effects wizards of the, today to tremble. But on a mountainside, when God revealed so much of his glory to them, they responded with a fearful, humble and determined hearts. And I hope this is how we would respond too. So in the book of De Deuteronomy, we are told seven different times about this original giving of the Ten Commandments to the whole congregation at Mount Horeb. And I'm sure if you've ever had the joy, or maybe joy is the wrong word, of helping with math homework or uh, memorizing the times tables with someone, then you know how important repetition can be when trying to learn something. I can still hear my mum uh, making me practice the times table over the dinner table. 
And this repetition highlights that it's obviously an incredibly significant historical event as it relates to the, mes the messages in this book of De Deuteronomy. This day in Israel's past, when that generation heard the voice of the Lord speak to them out of the mountain, carries constant relevance for God's people. And every time it's brought up, it's used in a little bit of a different way. So in chapter four, it is brought up in verse 15 to remind them when God appeared to them at the mountain in the fire, he did not have a shape or form. So when they worshiped the Lord, they were not to make shape or form to represent him. Then later in chapter four, uh, Moses rehearses this event of God speaking to them again to teach them that there is none other like God. He's the one and only true God. Then in the first part of chapter five, he brought up the event as the prelude to the Ten Commandments to remind the people that these 10 words are God's word spoken uniquely to God's people on the mountain. Therefore, they need to listen up. And then here in our passage for this morning, this event is counted once again as a postlude to the Ten Commandments. As if to say these are indeed God's words and they are not to be tampered with or forgotten, but also to show them the kind of heart response God is pleased with as it relates to these Ten Commandments. Then in chapter nine, the event will come up again to make the point that their God is a consuming fire and they need to hear the enemies they will face when they cross the Jordan. If they need not fear the enemies they will face when they cross the Jordan. And again, in chapter nine, the event will be referenced one more as a prelude to their idolatrous rebellion of forming the golden calf in Moses' absence. The point of that text will be to say to the present generation that even though their parents saw the great glory of God displayed on at Mount Horeb, still they were quick to go their own way and forget his truth. And then in chapter 18, this whole event will be recounted one last time to teach them that it will be a new prophet who would come, who like Moses would speak for, for God to them. I say all of that... Uh, I say all of that to say that this is not just another boring rehearsal of the same event, but rather this is such a significant moment in their history that they must never stop learning its many lessons. In this text, Mount, uh, Moses rehearses the Mount Horeb experience as a fitting conclusion to the Ten Commandments and to show us what a heart looks like that pleases God. In verse 22, he tells us that God spoke these Ten Commandments. Then in verses 23 to 27, he tells us about the response of God's people after hearing the thundering voice of the Lord. And then in verses 28 to 31, we have the response of God to the, to the response of God's people. He was pleased with their fear of him, and he told them to return to their tents. And then in verses 32 to 33, Moses calls the current generation to be careful to obey the law who has spoken these Ten Commandments. This emphasis in this fourth recounting of this unique revelation of God to his people at Mount Herod is to put on display the heart response which pleases the Lord on that day. And we are given details about that response here in these verses that are missing in the six other explanations. And these details are here to show us the heart which pleases God, the heart that we should have today. And before, uh, before we lay out what this heart looks like, let me try and paint you a pic uh, scene for you, paint you a picture. Uh, this is a compilation of the accounts given to us in Exodus, uh, 19 to 20, and the various other accounts of this event given in Deuteronomy. And I want you to imagine the scene with me. Moses has come round and told everyone that they need to be consecrating themselves for the next three days, because on the third day, God has something planned, and they must be spiritually and physically ready. On the morning of that third day, there is a palpable and fearful anticipation among the people as they go about their normal routines, and all of a sudden they hear the distance in the distance loud thundering 
lightning crashing down and a thick cloud descending on the mountain. A very loud trumpet blast is heard and everyone knows that this is not a trumpet that any human blew. Moses leads them from their camp out to the foot of the mountain to meet with God. And as they approach, they see more clearly that the mountain is wrapped in smoke because the Lord has descended upon the mountain in a column of unquenchable fire, which goes up into the sky as far as the eye can see. Moses continues to draw near to the mountain as the people follow in unsurprisingly hesitant fear. The mountain trembled underneath the weight of the glory of God. And as the people approach the truck, the, uh, and as the people approach, the trumpet blast grow louder. Finally, Moses spoke to the Lord and the Lord responded in a thunderous voice, calling Moses up into the mountain. And as Moses went up, the people were reminded to stay back away from the mountain so they would not be consumed by the outburst of God's holiness. Soon Moses reappeared, descending the mountain, and he began reminding the people that they must not touch the mountain and they must not break through the barrier to try and see God on the mountain or they will die. While Moses is at the foot of the mountain, God speaks for all to hear this thunderous voice never heard by human ears. And what he said to them is the Ten Commandments, uh, is which you see in verses six, uh, verses 6 to 21 of this chapter. And God could have chosen to reveal these Ten Commandments to his people any way he chose. But he does it in this way for an especially important reason. Every part of this interaction between God and his people communicates this exalted position of God and the glorious power of God. So they come to a mountain, which by its very geography communicates their inferiority. God's decision, descension to earth is on earth's highest point, a mountain. And then this mountain is filled with fire and a cloud and a thick darkness. These elements communicate the mystery of the glory of God. God is so great that when he shows up in our world, he communicates his mag the magnitude of his glory in an overwhelming and mysterious way. way. This fire they saw on that day was was understood to show the holiness of God. And this fire was also surrounded with this great cloud with thick darkness. So even in this brightest day of glorious holiness of God, there is still mystery and darkness. Even in the revelation of God to his people, he is showing them that they cannot know him completely. He is revealed truly to us here, but he's never revealed exhaustively. There is always mystery to the character, nature, and essence of the very God who is making himself known here. And he's making himself known through the loud voice. This obviously non-human voice. This is an overwhelming scene recorded for us here. But the focus of our text is, our, is on the response of God's people to this grand revelation of their God and his glorious. What effect did it have on them to see the mountain trembling, to hear the thunder, to see the strikes of lightning, to witness the great column of fire burning up the mountain, and to see and smell the great cloud of smoke, and to experience that thick and mysterious darkness, and hear the thunderous voice of God say to them, I am the Lord your God. Well, and unsurprisingly, they're humbled and fearful, and cry out to Moses to make it all stop. This is not because they don't love God or want to hear from him, because they are so overwhelmed by the great display on that mountain, that they will surely die if God keeps speaking to them. And so they know they need a mediator between them and God, and they plead with Moses to be that mediator. 
what I think should capture our attention in this text is God's statement in verse 28 to 29. He heard their words to Moses and he was pleased with their response. In other words, the overwhelming display of God's power and glory had its intended effect. It struck fear into the hearts and minds of God's people. He even says in verse 28 that they are right in all that they have spoken about needing a mediator so that the great fire of the Lord does not consume them. But then in verse 29, he says that he wishes that they had this heart always to fear and to keep all his commandments. He knows that in a matter of days, after Moses returns up the mountain, the people will forget these very words of command and they will demand that Aaron form an idol for them to worship. So the heart response of the people at the foot of the mountain is pleasing to the Lord and one that needed to continue but didn't. So beloved, so what is this, so what is this heart response which believes the Lord so much? And how do we keep this heart before the Lord? How should we respond? How should our heart respond? Well, the heart which pleases God in the text is the heart which is fearful, humble, and determined. And we're going to look at uh, those uh, separately now. So the first one I mentioned is that we should respond with a fearful heart. And we see that in verses 22 to 27. So a fearful heart. And this is not fear like you might fear spiders. We shouldn't think of them. We shouldn't think of like we should shrink and hide from God and be terrified of him all of the time. But maybe an analogy, but as children f- fear the discipline from a parent or a carer or a teacher, which no doubt prevents some you know, misbehaving or some evil actions. The same should be true in our relationship with God. We should fear his discipline and therefore seek to live our lives in such a way that pleases him. Believers are not scared of God. We have no reason to be scared of him. We have promise that we have his promise that nothing can separate us from his love. We see that in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 to 39. We have his promise that he will never leave us or forsake us. You see that in Hebrews chapter 13. Fearing God means having such a reverence for him that it has a great impact on the way we live our lives. The fear of God is respecting him, obeying him, submitting to his discipline and worshipping him in awe. So on to the fear of the Lord being the first aspect of a heart which pleases God. And this is the immediate response of the people upon uh, seeing the great display at the mountain. And it certainly would be my response. They sent the heads of the tribe directly to Moses. And look at what they say in verse 24. And you said, and you said, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his majesty. And we have heard his voice from the fire. Today we have seen that a person can live even if God speaks with them. They heard, they saw, they lived. And now they cry no more. They've had enough and they fear for their lives. They are convinced that the column of fire going into heaven is going to break out against them. And if they stay there any longer, they're going to be, they're going to be gone. They know they need a different way for God to communicate with them. And so in verse 26, they ask a question which tees up their request for Moses to go and talk to the Lord on their behalf. In verse 26, who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out in the midst of the fire as we have and has still lived? Well, in that conversation, both parties could answer affirmatively. But the nature of the question was that they were convinced it wouldn't happen again. But Moses, on the other hand, 
he had heard the Lord talk to him out of the fire before, and he had lived. The Lord had appeared to him in a burning bush on this very mountain about 40 years prior. So by their question, they know that Moses can go and talk to God on their behalf. I love the statement in verse 27, uh, go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say. They were too aware of the great glory and vast holiness of God. They were too captured by the breaking out of his power and awesomeness of God. They knew they had no right to get any closer, but they knew Moses could. So they tell him to go near and hear all that God has to say. They want to hear from God and they want to be near to God, but they are so aware of how great God is. They know they need someone to go near for them. It is this fear of the Lord which pleases the Lord. It is this heart which is so overcome by the vast difference between creator and creature. It is this heart overwhelmed by the bright and yet mysterious revelation of the glory of God. It is this heart filled with the dread that the living God is going to break out against their own sinfulness and deal thoroughly and completely with them. And I feel this. And how it is this heart full of awareness that God is great and to be greatly feared. This is the heart which pleases God. And specifically in this text, the fear of the Lord produced a pressing demand for a mediator. They saw a small glimpse of the glorious holiness of God, and they inherently knew that they needed someone to represent them to God and someone to represent God to them. Without a mediator, they would certainly die. I hope that if not, you see the obvious gospel foreshadowing here. Mankind cannot stand before the living God without a mediator. It will mean certain judgment and eternal death because of our great sinfulness. These elders of the people were right. We need someone to go near for us. We could never be in the such of, never be in the presence of such pure white hot holiness based on our own merit. We would bur- be burned up by the righteous wrath of God. So God came down to us when Jesus left heaven and became man. He didn't just come to our highest mountain in a great display of glory. Rather, he came in the humility of human birth to a poor couple through the virgin birth. He came as a servant for all, and he humbled himself to the point of finally ascending another hill that would be covered in thick darkness and would tremble under the weight of the glory of God. On this mountain, Jesus, as God in the flesh, would be nailed to an execution stake and would suffer the agony of the condemnation of sin. His blood shed for us became the cleansing flood which washes over our souls and cleanses us so that we may be made right with God and may confidently approach him. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. This one mediator does not just represent us to God and God to us, but rather he has made peace between us through the blood of his cross. Therefore, we no longer need to writhe in the fear of condemnation as we prepare to approach God. Uh, Hebrews 10, chapter 19 says it this way. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, 
for he who promised is faithful. But this doesn't mean we can just forget the fear of God thing and be flippant before him. Rather, because we have, uh, have this blood of Christ, which has earned us access, we should have a deeper and more holy fear than we ever did apart from Christ. We no longer feel his judging wrath against us if we are in Christ, but we now should grow in a reverential awe of this God whose holy demands are met with the holy sacrifice of his son in our place. We should go deeper into the fear of the Lord and not be absent for it. So that is the first uh, response in our heart. We should be responding with a fearful heart. The next one is we should be responding with a humble heart. And we see that in the second half of verse 27. I wonder who or what you think of um, when you think about being humble or having humility. Maybe a sportsman or an actor who keeps out of the news no matter their achievements. Or maybe closer to home, a friend or a co-worker who you know is great at their job, but are quite happy to work away just in the background, not getting any praise. Maybe you think of a uh, biblical example, the parable of the Pharisee and tax collector, which we see in Luke chapter 18, verse 9, where the tax collector humbled himself before the Lord. These are all good examples of humility, but why should we respond with a humble heart? Well, so humility lets us know if you are walking in the sphere of the Lord or not. What we see in our text is that one of the most apparent traits which flows out of this fear of the Lord is humility before the Lord. So the heart which pleases God is fearful of the Lord and humble before the Lord. Just think of that scene once again. They see and hear all the clear displays of the greatness of God. And instead of running away out of fear, they are drawn to him in humility. They know they need a mediator. But the fact that they want a mediator is key here. The grand exhibition of God's glory and the clarity of God's voice put them in their place and made them want them to know more from God. Uh, just imagine a professor in a college classroom trying to teach stu his students about um, Einstein's theory of quantum particles of light, when all of a sudden Einstein walks through the door uh, in a grand, ent grand entrance. The teacher would immediately be awed by the fact that the one of the greatest scientists to ever live was in their classroom. And he would be humbled before him. He would certainly turn over the class to Mr. Einstein and ask him to teach his students his theory. In a similar way, the people of God were put in their place before their maker and redeemer. They were shown a glimpse of his glory, a glimpse of his glorious presence, and they were humbled before him. And this drove them to want to know more from him. So in verse 27, after they asked Moses to go near and hear all the, the Lord has to say, then notice what they say next. And speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you. Their desire for a meditator was coupled with their desire to know God better. They were humbled as a result of their fear. So let's apply this to us today. We're not probably going to have this mountain experience, but we have a greater privilege according to Peter. We have the clear and complete word of God given to us in our own language. And so we have constant access to the glorious revelation of God. And we have been given everything we need for life and godliness and God's holy word. So you can know if you are fearing the Lord and seeing him as your glorious and all-powerful God. If you are humbly seeking to know him more in his word. Does your heart lean into the word with a humble desire to know God better? 
And the answer there is more of a scale than it is a destination. And it's often a fluctuating scale because we're complicated, we're simple people. But what is the overall posture of your heart before God as seen in your relationship to his word? Can you say that you fear him as evidenced by your humble desire to hear, to hear more and learn more from the God whose word this is? So, so far we've seen a couple of the ways their heart responded. They responded in fear, with a fearful heart, and they responded with a humble heart. And the final one I want to look at is how they responded with a determined heart. Lastly, notice that their heart which pleases God is determined. This fear produces humility, and out of this humility should produce a determination to live in the light of what has been revealed. This is the difference to what fear normally does, since fear of God means there is nothing else to fear. So in verse 27, after expressing their desire to have Moses to go near and hear all that God would say to them and come and tell them, then they, then they said, we will hear and do it. This is quite the statement of a determined commitment to hear and heed the word of God. And you might be thinking, but they didn't do it. So what good is it? In a matter of days, they will break the first, second, and arguably the third command of the Ten Commandments. So apparently... They didn't really mean it when they said they would listen and obey. But actually, I think they did mean it. I say that because of how the Lord describes their heart in verse 29. He sees in their words a sincere determination to follow the words they hear about him. But he also knows how fickly the human heart is and how volatile our commitment can be. But they were determined and committed to obeying what they heard. And this is the mark of a fearful and humble heart. This determined posture to obey what is revealed from the Lord. This determination to obey was diminished as the, Lord, as, as the people of God left the obvious presence of God and no longer heard his voice. Though that uh, stoked fear in their hearts, this fear produced the humility necessary to keep walking in God's ways rather than their own. Rather than remind themselves of the greatness of God seen on the mountain and the clarity of God's voice commanding their exclusive worship of him alone, they forgot and walked away. So where is your determination to follow God waning and lacking? What area of your life is faulted in the area of obedience? Specifically, think back through the 10 words of the 10 commandments of God. Are you worshipping God exclusively? Are you refusing to put other objects in, li in life in his place? Worshipping the gift rather than the giver? Are you talking, are you taking the Lord's name in vain? Are you failing to provide honour, are you failing to honour Christ by resting in him as your Sabbath provider? Are you honouring your father and your mother as you ought to? Are you taking the life of another through anger, through words or through actual physical harm? Are you dishonouring marriage by walking in adulterous thoughts, words, or actions? Are you taking things that don't belong to you because you have determined that you matter more than the original owner? Are you misrepresenting others in your speech so that you can gain advantage over them? Are you coveting what isn't yours because you are convinced that this is the next key to your contented happiness? Where that is true, the answer is not to simply stop and to put on the right behaviour. Rather, the answer is to return to the mountain of God's revelation and see the lawgiver himself. You have not just failed to obey God, but you have left a fear of the Lord. And so you need to see him high and lifted. 
You need to be reminded of the great weight of your own sinfulness as a breaker of the law. And you need to see with a fresh sight the great sacrifice. And you need to see with a fresh sight the great sacrifice of Christ for you to be your mediator and to shed his blood so that you may, can be cleansed of this law breaking. The great antidote of the breaking of God's law is a greater comprehension of the glory of the God of the law who redeemed you from the, your law breaking. So is this how your heart responds to God's glory? With fear, humility, and determination? I invite you to hear him in faith and be awed by his greatness of his glory and be humbled before him, which should then produce in you a committed determination to obey all that he has said. And I pray for all of us uh, that God would grow that kind of heart in us continually as, the, as his blood brought people. Let's pray. Father God, we give thanks for this uh, passage in Deuteronomy. We give thanks for this example of how our heart should respond to your glory. Lord, we know we don't always respond in fear to you. But if we fear you, then what else can we fear? What else need we fear, Lord? You are the creator, the Lord of all. You have known us since we were in the womb, you knitted us together, Lord. We can turn to you with such humbleness and determination, Lord. And we thank you for that. And Lord, we thank you for the mediator you sent in your son, Jesus. That we know that we couldn't have any kind of relationship with you without that through our own sin or through our own merit and then we needed your son to die on that cross on that day and lord we thank you for that so father i pray as we go from this place that we would remember this and that we would think about whether we do respond to your greatness and your holiness and your glory and fear and whether that humbles us and leads us to a determination to follow your words to follow your edicts to follow your law. So Lord, remind, of the, remind us that this week. Amen.